Welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. It's time now for our preview show. Every month we like to do our best to look through the previews books and try and show you guys the, the things that we're certainly most excited about. Introduce some new starting points for new titles or introduce some jumping on points if there's ongoing titles, that kind of thing. So what we're going to be doing is going through the September book and these are going to be releases for this coming November. Your host as always, Alan. I'm delighted to be joined by Keith. Hi, are you? How's it going? I'm wonderful, thank you, sir. And I'm also joined by Roddy. How are you, sir? Hello. Yeah, going going pretty good over here. How about you guys? I think you're just excited because the the indie book totally dominates this month. You know, well, yeah, it I, always does. I look at our board in the store, and obviously we we do the DC stuff in blue, we do the Marvel stuff in red, we do the indie stuff in yellow. It's just a wash with yellow this month, Roddy. What's what's going on? That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's good. It's good to see, isn't it? And good to see those long titles too to make you make you really work for it. <laughs> Keep him on his toes. Yeah, <laughs> as I, it were. <laughs> I appreciated that, but I did get a nice little shout out for my board for my quality penmanship from Stephen Mooney of Half Past Danger fame. So at least yeah. you know I I was appreciated because today is actually I should say we're recording on uh, Tuesday which is the uh, 1st of September, and this is actually International Letterer's Day, so it's Letterer Appreciation and Comics Day today. And I think that's why the, uh, my exquisite work was highlighted, so I, I'm happy with that. But yeah, as I say, it's, it's a massive indie month. We'll, we'll jump into the books in, in a little second. What we always do is we pick five titles each that we're most excited for. We'll go through the first four each, and then sort of our pick of the month, if you will, for the September book. But you know, we do sort of have to start off with maybe some slightly sadder news. I'm, I'm sure everybody knows by now, but unfortunately in the last week there was the, the news reports and the of the untimely passing of Chadwick Boseman, uh, known throughout the world as Black Panther. Uh, very, very talented actor, known for, for many other roles outside of that, but I think that's definitely, given the cultural impact that that movie had and that character had, I think that's what he'll be remembered for most. And... The shocking thing about it all was that he had been diagnosed with colon cancer and he was diagnosed four years ago and he's been battling it privately since and this news was just a tremendous tremendous shock to us all you know he was only only 43 so you know how did how did you guys take it what about you keith oh i uh and actually you know celebrity celebrities passing and such it's not it's not like it's someone you it's not like it's someone you know uh you know in the first in the first instance but but still this one sort of hit me a wee bit hit me a wee bit harder than than i had expected you know um whether or not it's because you know most of us have been somewhere or been touched by cancer um or or whether whether it was because you know he was so young i mean the same age as myself just a just a year older um, or whether because he's been so present, um, you know, in the in the lives of those of us who are fans of, of uh, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, you know, for for the past, you know, I guess five or six years, uh, you know, or whatever it's been since since Civil War, um, it just really it really hit hard. I mean, I think there was something really um, touching. You know, I know it. I know it's good to talk. You know, and it's good to tell people about problems and a problem shared as a problem half. But there was something incredibly noble about about him keeping that that illness to himself and his family. You know, away from the media, away from even 
the people he was working alongside. I mean, Ryan Coogler, the, the director of Black Panther, didn't know, you know, despite the fact they were friends. They, he, Ryan Coogler put up a fantastic tribute uh, on the, the Marvel website, actually, the other day. And, you know, they've, they've, he was saying how, how, how Chadwick Boseman would, would send him and his family recipes, you know, vegetarian recipes and check in on them over, over pandemic, you know, and lockdown and all of that. And uh, at no point did, did he reveal the, the pain that he was going through. He, he filmed what were incredibly physical movies, you know, while undergoing chemotherapy and surgery. And never said a never said a thing about you. I mean, you think even about that fight scene in the pool at the very very start of Black Panther, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, Jesus, just, just, just incredible. And I think an incredibly inspiring individual. Um, you know, seems very very humble, very just. I don't know. It just it was it was quite quite difficult. Made me made me think a lot about my own mortality um, and 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 that of of people around me. You know, so. So yeah, definitely, definitely hit me hard um, that morning. Whenever uh, it was, it was Roddy had put the message on the on our on our chat. They couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I still can't believe it. I'm still sort of struggling a bit with it because I, I heard it on the radio like sort of Friday, like really kind of early Friday morning, and then whatever happened, I went back to sleep, and then I kind of was like, like, did I dream that? Was that was that a joke or something? And find out it was it was real, and like I can't really elaborate on what you guys have said. He just seemed like an incredibly decent and humble human being, you know, that went through tremendous pain and suffering, but did it with you know dignity and absolute pride in what he did. And he was I watched um, the Five Bloods not not too long ago, mm-hmm. and that yeah. there's something there's something in that film that's. There's a little bit of um, magic to it now, knowing because his his character. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone because mm. you should, you should definitely watch it. But there's something to his character that feels very very relevant to his own mortality, and I thought that was that brought it home to me. And uh, yeah, just just I don't know, just certainly made me question a lot of things and you know think about my own mortality as well. I am a bit younger, you know, but still getting getting to that age where everything needs checked and certainly mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all uh, worth doing. And I think there's an element there's an element maybe as well. I mean, despite the fact we all know it's 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 movies and you know it, it's it's actors, there's an element of you know, superheroes dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're kinda well, your, yeah. your heroes your heroes He's, passing away. It's something I don't think about too often, but certainly with Chadwick, you you really got a sense of that. Like he, you know, it was like people saw him as Black Panther mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, little kids and he'd go to hospitals. I couldn't believe all the stuff that was coming out that he went to hospitals to visit like kind of cancer patient children and like you kind of make a wish kind of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe that when I heard about that. And just, I don't know. And like, uh, there's stuff to be said about, you know, the representation within the films and the Marvel films and like the importance of him being in it and Black Panther being in them. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, just, just, just a real, a real shock to the system, that one. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, you're, you're talking there about the Make-A-Wish stuff and, you know, visiting children in hospital, you know. 
The thing about that is that was maybe half an hour or an hour after chemotherapy, and that's tremendously physically draining. And he's probably stayed in the hospital straight after that just to, you know, cheer up kids and make an appearance and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it's a... It's a tough one to take in a lot of ways. I mean, it, the the suddenness of it was a big thing, as you say, Keith. It's it's interesting talking about sort of, you know, the deaths of celebrities and people you don't know and so forth. But I think there are definitely some more than others that maybe make an impact on your life. And and I I think that was the way he carried himself and you know bringing Black Panther to the screen. And I mean, he would have got cast as Black Panther knowing he had already been diagnosed. It came out in twenty eighteen. And I think it was Civil War 2016, so it would have mm-hmm. been around that yeah. time he was diagnosed. But, you know, it, it would have been easy for him to step away and say, look, I've got private demons to, you know, deal with and very, you know, private, uh, you know, health issues to deal with. But he saw the responsibility of the character and wanted to do it justice. And, you know, it's it's definitely a, a sad loss. And, yeah, I was the same as Roddy. The first thing I always do every morning is when I wake up, I always look at Twitter because it's the fastest way of getting news as much as it is a high for scum and villainy uh it's also the fastest way to get news <laughs> these days and i saw it and i was i was shocked by it so it's uh it's a tremendous loss and you know our, our thoughts definitely go out to you know the friends and family of of everyone close to him so yeah rest in peace king nothing more to, to say about it than that i suppose wakanda forever indeed um, but yeah, we'll we'll just take a wee quick short break after that, and then we'll be back and we'll go through uh, the previews books this month. Cool. So we're back and we are talking previews this month. So uh, again, with uh, the previews books, our goal is always just to to throw out what we're looking forward to most. Hopefully, we can throw some recommendations your ways, guys. That you know you don't have to pick up every comic that comes out. And if you can only afford to pick a few up or, you know, you just have a general interest in comics, these are a lot of these are starting points and, and good series for you to get into. So these are these are the titles we're looking forward to most. You know, it would be impossible to go through the entire previews book. We 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 used to try and do that. I seem to remember in the past, <laughs> page by page. Uh, which always that, resulted that, uh, in I love or... that page turn, the page turn sound you would hear on the podcast <laughs> of us just flipping through it desperately, desperately searching for something to talk about. Crap, crap, where was that again? But no, we've we've refined it a lot, and you know now we just go for five picks each. Uh, it can be from the indie, the DC, or the Marvel in each case. But you know what were the general impressions this month of the previews books? Uh, I think it's only right to start with yourself, Roddy, because I think we all agree this is a a strong month for indie. Yeah, like. This like, looks cracking, absolutely cracking. Um, sometimes there's nothing, nothing better than going in the shop, grabbing like a coffee or tea, and having a look through the book. Um, yeah, just this looks great. There's there's a lot of stuff going on in the indie indie world. It doesn't really seem like COVID has slowed it down. It seems like really we're mostly back to normal, which is you know a good thing in the comic world. Um, there's lots of Great looking number ones. Um, we've got Donny Cates returning to Image. Um, that's going to be fantastic. Hopefully, I haven't ruined your picks, but some of them, you know. But it's very, it's a, it's a very huge one because we've had, we've had a lot of big time, you know, Marvel DC creators. Kind of when they show up with indie books, you you do take notice, and you're you're always going to be interested to see what they do next and. He's gearing up for a big, big Christmas with um, King in Black, isn't it, for Marvel? Mm-hmm. Isn't that December? 
That's right. So, yeah. yeah, it's going to be going to be pretty huge um, for him. There's a lot of great, a lot of a lot of other great number ones. I didn't really see many jumping on points in this one, but there's lots of nice looking. Uh, volume ones of graphic novels that's if you're a graphic novel collector definitely worth checking out a um, couple of great one shots in there and then yeah um, we're also going to check out some new well maybe not necessarily new new to us so excited to talk about that a bit later and then yeah it's it's going to be great um, have we ever have we ever had a rubbish month for indie I think given the <laughs> sheer wealth of indie these days I don't think so you know, it's yeah. there's always tons of great stuff. But yeah, it just it really stood out this month because, as I was saying, like the board in the store is, you know, I would say it's at least half yellow, maybe even more than half. So uh, that that just shows the strength of it. I mean, when it comes to the DC stuff this month, obviously the the DC book is now is completely digital. So DC released their monthly previews now through DC Connect. So if you guys want to check out the the full DC book, that's easy to do. It's just go to dcconnect.com. And then find number four, which will cover this month. Uh, the, the other previous books, of course, are always in the store, ready for you guys to have a flick through them anytime you're in. But yeah, with DC this month, I mean, it's it's a strong enough month from DC. There's lots of quality ongoings. There's some great graphic novel collections, certainly at the back as well. There are a lot of titles that seem to be coming to an end this month, though. And, you know, I, I do wonder if a bit of a relaunch is imminent uh, between the restructuring mm. at DC, between... You know, certain amount of staff members being let go between streamlining of titles. A lot of these titles seem to be coming to an end just as metal is nearing its conclusion, and I'm convinced that's going to leave some sort of, you know, Keith will disagree with me here, but some sort of continuity for them to jump on to. <laughs> but I just get that feeling, you know, there is, you know, as I say, we're recording this first of September. There is another DC uh, fandom event on September 12th. And it's going to cover comics and TV. And I wonder if we're going to get some announcements there. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, still some quality one-shots this month though. Uh, as well as the return of a rather timely Black Label title. That was originally solicited a long, long time ago. And it's coming back now at a, at a time when I think the world maybe needs it. So yeah, some good DC stuff to get excited about. Uh, how about the Marvel book? The Marvel one is a bit of a funny one. Uh, and this in November, um, it's one of those months where things are just sort of mostly ticking over. You know, we've 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 had them now and again with both DC and Marvel. I guess you don't get them as much with with indie because because it's so varied. You know, but but you know, with with the the big two, you have your your ongoings and and so forth and so on. And that's what this month is. You know, um, the the X crossover uh, Ten of Swords dominates the whole front of the book, and it's coming into its uh, its its third act. In November and it, it, it's finishing off um, but as of yet as of present day it hasn't truly started yet we've seen sniffs of it in, uh, in Cable and various other books but uh, so there's not too much to be said of that just yet but I'm really looking forward to that uh, to that line wide crossover um, there are a couple of jumping on points and standouts but we're going to be talking about those highlighting those specifically uh, during this podcast but other than that it's just the like the stalwart books uh continuing um you know uh amazing spider-man he's in the midst of his uh last remains arc which is coming out of the back of of sins rising and there's the 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 main amazing spider-man book and then there's the dot lr titles uh dot last remains as they did with you know uh hunted 
so you're sort of doubling up on, on Spider-Man over the next few months. Um, Symbiote Spider-Man is launching a new mini, uh, which has given us our first, first taste of, as Roddy, as Roddy mentioned, the, the King in Black. Uh, so that's uh, that, and that crossover starting in earnest, I think, uh, in, uh, in December. Um, Captain America is celebrating a, a 25th issue. I don't think they're making a huge big deal of it. Avengers, uh, the, uh, the new Iron Man series, which I'm really looking forward to, but which hasn't started yet. Um, and uh, Daredevil continues. Doctor Doom continues. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly, it's a fairly sail on by month. There's plenty going on, but not too much to highlight, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's, as you say, the, these sort of months come along every so often. And I find more often than not, it tends to happen in November because I think that they always do a lot of prestige and big releases in December, obviously being the month of Christmas. Sorry to mention that sorely, Keith. And, <laughs> you know, so I always get the feeling that November, I'd be curious to look back over November's at the last couple of years and see if they're sort of quieter months almost uh, yeah, in terms I mean, of releases. Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be interesting. Um, there's some interesting bits and pieces, uh, like Thor, Thor 9, Don Blake has returned. Um, Don Blake, if you remember, used to be uh, Thor's alter ego whenever he was first banished from Asgard. Uh, the, uh, the the doctor who, who used the stick and uh, slammed the, you know, he, he found Mjolnir and became Thor's mortal form. You know, uh, so it'll be interesting to see Don Blake back. Um, and uh, yeah, but I mean, other than that, there's a, I think there's a, they've started collecting X Men Age of Apocalypse again and trade paperback volumes, which is, is always interesting. Age of Apocalypse was a fantastic story, so worth having a wee look at too. Some of the, some of the, the anthologies and the trades, you know. You know, it's it's interesting enough that you've already broken the rules this month with picking six titles, and now you've just picked another two in there as well, mentioning <laughs> Thor in a bit of detail, mentioning Age of Apocalypse. You just can't abide by the rules at all, Keith, can you? I know you're a big Thor fan, though. <laughs> well, that Glass I've houses, Alan. Glass houses. Well, you know, yeah. I just thought I'd throw that out there so that people could throw it back at me <laughs> when I get further through my picks. So <laughs> I may have had to pick six as well, but... We both have our reasons for it, and we're both sweet and sticking with them. So, yeah, as I say, we'll we'll jump in anyway. So, again, our format is always picking five books each, or in this case, picking six. We'll go through our picks first of all, and then we'll leave to last the, the book that we're most looking forward to uh, aiming for November. I'll also very quickly go through Vicky's picks as well. Uh, so uh, just so you get everything that we've put on the board. So the first one up for me, what a shock, it's indie after all this indie love I'm throwing out. And it's actually a pretty big crossover in the realm of the indie world. This is a collaboration between DC and IDW, and it's very much two of their prestige series. I think everybody now knows what Lock and Key is. Lock and Key was always a very well-revered graphic novel series by Joe Hill, Stephen Keaton's son, who's an amazing writer in his own right. And now that the TV show's come to prominence, I think it's a it's an IP so to speak that people are much more familiar with and it's being crossed over with the Sandman universe now we had talked last month about a, an issue zero I believe that was coming out it was two separate tales but with this number one which is called Lock and Key Sandman Hell and Gone number one this is where the the two universes start to meld there's a really really beautiful cover actually by Gabriel Rodriguez uh, showing the Sandman and someone holding up one of those great keys from Lock and Key with sort of a rainbow effect coming off it. 
So, written by Joe Hill in collaboration with Neil Gaiman, and art is by Gabriel Rodriguez, who of course is the main artist on Lock and Key. So, the, the blurb for this one goes, If you think you can unlock the gates of hell and just invite yourself in, you must be dreaming. The epic crossover between two of the most beloved fantasy universes and comics begins here. John Jack Locke is 10 years dead, but that hasn't stopped him from posting the occasional letter home from hell. Now Mary Locke will do everything to save her brother's soul, including cut a deal with Roderick Burgess, the most evil man in England, to search for answers in the House of Mystery and risk the walking nightmare known as the Corinthian to help find in a disintegrating kingdom of dreams. Now, the thing about this is I've read Lock and Key start to finish two or three times. I still have not read Sandman. I have these beautiful absolute editions that I'm waiting to tear into. This now gives me a timeline. I'm going to try and read Sandman. I'm putting this down on tape. Uh, tape, by the way, kids, is what we used to do long before digital recording. Uh, I'm putting this out there. I'm going to read all of Sandman before this comes out on November 18th. Uh, so that I can be fully informed <laughs> of everything. I mean, what about you guys? Have you have you used any experience with Lock and Key or Sandman yourselves, Keith? Uh, so my my experience with Sandman is something that I as a as a hole in my in my reading. Um, I did start picking up the the the, the New Year Sandman universe stuff um, with the the DC Rebirth stuff, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the book of dreams and stuff, um, that came out. Uh, I didn't stick with it. It just didn't, just didn't grab me. It was just too out there. Um, uh, what I did stick with was, was John Constantine, which was connected to that, to that line. Um, with regard to, sorry, what were you talking about there? Uh, Sandman and, uh, Sandman and Lock and Key. I mean, have oh, you, well, Lock and Key, uh, the only thing I've done is watch the Netflix series, mm-hmm. which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed and made me think I really need to watch and really need to, to read the, 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 the comics. Yeah. I mean, if uh, the, the Netflix show I've been trying to slowly get into, but it's definitely aimed slightly more at a, a teen and above audience, which is absolutely fine. You know, it's an adaptation of a work. It's, obviously trying to attract the biggest audience possible. But Lock and Key itself is a very, very dark graphic novel series. So uh, it'd be interesting to see the differences between the two of them. I need to get back yeah. to the show, as I say. So, um, But uh, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to this. I think the the blurb for it there sounds fantastic, uh, full of fantasy and intrigue and having the original creators of Lock and Key on that, you know, it not being a fill-in artist or anything like that. To me, this says that they have a story to tell. So... Uh, so yeah, that was my first pick, which is Lock and Key, Sandman, Hell and Gone, number one. Uh, Vicky's first pick was something that I'm actually reading myself as well. It's being collected into trade paperback form for uh, November release. In fact, I beg your pardon, it's the first week of December, so it's a slightly advanced solicit. Uh, this is a series called Mirka Andolfo's Mercy. So Mirka Andolfo is an Italian creator. Uh, she both writes and draws this, and the trade paperback has a pretty cool cover from Art Germ, which I believe was one of the variants for issue one. But this is very much a goth-inspired Victorian steampunky monster series. Uh, it's it's very much for fans of stuff like, say, Penny Dreadful or The Alienist, Dark Shadows, that kind of thing. And it's five issues into a six-issue run, and it's something I've been really, really digging. It's It's very grown-up adult storytelling it's uh as i say full of horror a few different gory parts in it as well but it's it's got real good tension to it as well and the artwork is absolutely stunning on it so it's going to be can um collected into 
uh, the trade paperback and that's going to be out on the first week of December so if you're looking a good Christmas present for someone who's a horror fan just uh, that would come highly recommended from myself unless of course issue 6 absolutely sucks but you know I'll keep his, <laughs> I'll keep his updated on that guys uh, so yeah so that was Vicky's first pick and that's Mirka and Dolfo's Mercy so next up we have the pick of Roddy what is your first pick this month Nice. Well, so we kind of banged on there about indie books, but my first pick <laughs> is actually a Marvel one. <laughs> you know, just like guys, like to change change the script and uh, go a bit crazy here. But um, I've got something really interesting, and it sounds right up my alley. An anthology book, obviously, um, and this this kind of spun out of a Marvel podcast, I believe, back in February. Um, they launched their first one of their first anthologies, which was called Marvel Voices, and it was basically the ta- there a lot of like talent explaining how they got into comics and that sort of thing, and it became like a discussion point for culture and representation and all that sort of stuff. But um, then they released, I think it was in February, they released that one, and here we are coming into november we have marvel's voices indigenous voices number one which um as you may have guessed is going to be written and drawn by some of the industry's most renowned indigenous talent along with um some of them making their marvel comics debut so it's sort of curated uh, and lined up by this uh, a writer and artist called jeffrey Vareggi, who has done a lot of work in comics and art and he just had an exhibition at um, the Smithsonian National Museum called Of Gods and Heroes, which is certainly something worth looking into. Um, So we're obviously, we're going to explore and maybe reimagine a lot of Marvel's indigenous heroes. Um, I know in this one, it focuses on Echo and the, is Danny Moonstar the, one of the X-Men? Yeah, she is. Yeah, uh-huh. she's one of the one of the new mutants. Yeah, uh-huh. shaky Marvel knowledge. Here. <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, You've got and, the right um, guy backing you up for your Marvel knowledge, so you're all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of great. Um, I'll just read you read you like the um, blurb here. So there's a lot of talent involved, and there was a lot of. It's maybe not necessarily comic book talent but it's coming from writers who writers and artists that have done huge things in maybe the other side of the industry you know the writing side or whatever and so hugo nebula and lucas award-winning black okay onj writer rebecca roanhorse and tongva artist weishahot al vitre tell an echo tale like not marvel Geoscientist and Lipan Apache writer Darcy Little Badger joins acclaimed whitefished Lake First Nation artist Kyle Charles for a Danny Moonstar story where she will face the crucial question of what her indigenous heritage means in the new era of mutant kind. And Bram Stoker winning horror writer Stephen Graham Jones of the Blackfeet Nation teams up with Kualipu Ikmak. Um, I really hope I pronounce everything right. Apologies if I've messed it up. Um, he's First Nation artist David Cutler to re- revisit one of the darkest spots in X Men history. So, um, yeah, really cool. Marvel 
I think CB Sibeliski reached out, you know, it kind of came about from there. It sounds like a really, really, really interesting thing. And you've got a lot more um, talent on there that I haven't really mentioned. But yeah, um, I know, is it Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas? Was writing something for Marvel. Can't quite remember what it was, but he it says in this book he's doing commentary by Taboo and Ben Jackendorf. So intrigued to see what that is, but it's certainly it's certainly something worth picking up and having a look through because I would say a lot of these talents are going to be big players and like people to watch out for in the years to come. Nice. Yeah. Cool. What do you think, Keith, as the resident Marvel man? Um, I th- I think it looks like a it looks like a, a really cool initiative. Um, and I think it's it's timely. Obviously, um, there's some great characters, some great some great creators there. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great choice, Roddy. Cool. So that was uh, from Mister Indy himself. His first choice as Marvel book. Uh, I don't think there'll be any more Marvel as we go through it, though. Uh, so, yeah, so that's Marvel's Indigenous Voices. And how about you, Keith? What is your first pick this month? Uh, my first pick is going to be uh, U.S. Agent number one of five. Uh, it's by Christopher Priest. Uh, Christopher Priest, a uh, well-known uh, writer in, uh, in Marvel. He was the first black uh, writer-editor in mainstream comics, actually. Um, and he's well known for his, his runs on Conan uh, and Black Panther. Uh, he actually created um, uh, in uh, Civil War uh, the character that, uh, what do you call him? Uh, the actor who played uh, Bilbo in The Hobbit, the uh, British actor whose name escapes Martin me Freeman. right now. Martin Fre- yeah, the very boy. He, he created the character that he played in that. Uh, for that uh, that Black Panther uh, volume three, um, and he's 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 been all over the all over the place in his in his time. So, writer was uh, writer's Christopher Priest. The artist is uh, Italian artist Stefano Landini, who is currently on Ruins of Ravencroft. He's been on Star Wars. Was in Charles Soule's Daredevil, uh, the Man Without Fear uh, storyline as well. So. Uh, he's on uh, he's on on art and the cover is a beautiful Marco Cicero cover, but uh, we also uh, we also have a have a variant by uh, by our recently acquainted friend Declan Shelby. Make sure to uh, check out that podcast interview. Should be abs- just before this one. <laughs> a variant <laughs> podcast, indeed. <laughs> exactly, you know, for a and a variant cover from from Mister Shelby himself. So. You know, there's there's maybe a few folks that are asking themselves who the hell uh, U.S. Agent is and why he's getting his uh, why he's getting his own uh, his own miniseries. So, um, John Walker was the man who once replaced Steve Rogers as Captain America, and he he's been a, a, a on and off constant in Marvel uh, ever since. Um, he he's returning whenever whenever Captain America. Re- returned whenever steve rogers returned uh as captain america uh john walker took on took on the role and the and the the moniker of u.s agent and uh in this series he's once again following in steve rogers footsteps but in a very very different way um the story's called uh, american zealot uh and it's one in which john walker departs his service to the united states government 
He's the, the former super patriot. He's been stripped of his official U.S. agent status and is now operating as an independent government contractor, protecting government covert interests. Um, his latest protection detail draws him into a conflict between a small town and the corporate giant trying to destroy it. He's going to get a new partner. He's going to get a new enemy. And along the way, he's going to be hunted by ghosts from his past and uh, while confronting challenges of his of his future. Um Christopher Priest calls it a mortality play in five acts. Uh, Walker's been fired or he quit, depends on who's telling the story. Uh, and now he's this, as I say, he's a civilian government contractor. He's making more money, he's taking more risks as he can now intervene and, you know, enter places that weren't sanctioned for him before. Uh, however, he's got limited official access to intelligence data. And yeah, I mean, it, it, apparently some of those decisions are going to lead him into blind alleys that he'll, he'll need MacGyver himself to to get him out of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, John Walker was always a bit of a different take on Captain America. He was definitely he was definitely the a right winger. Um, you know, he was he was he was more about ending things with force than than with uh, with diplomacy. Um, and that eventually went on to be, uh, eventually went on to, uh, to, to lead the Thunderbolts and to, uh, and then he was, a he was a prison guard at the, at the raft. And if I recall, he lost a leg and lost an arm. So I'll be interested to see why he's got both his legs and both his arms back. Um, you know, but, uh, uh Christopher Priest. So there's going to be a wee bit more going on here. And whenever you look at this idea of, of a, a government, an independent contractor, you know, an independent uh, security interest. You know, those are controversial enough in America uh, and all around the world at the minute, and the things they're doing in, in combat sites. And uh, whenever you look at this small town versus corporate giant, I would say there's going to be plenty going on here to uh, to enjoy. Yeah, just just you talking about it uh, kind of sold me on it, Keith. I, <laughs> I, I have you talked about it before? Was it is the U.S. agent not was he a bad guy at a certain time or? Well, I know because he's he's basically if Captain America was, you know, a Trump supporter, basically, is he? Yeah, or is that I just mean, my sort of. No, you're you're not wrong. He definitely he definitely has that. Uh, you know, he definitely has that a, a different sort of a background. Um, he grew up idolizing his older brother Mike, who was a Vietnam helicopter pilot, and then, you know, he was he was discharged from the United States army and the power broker who at the, at that time in Marvel was a, was a big player, give, give people superpowers, give him give him the powers of Captain America effectively. Um, he, he became a, a character called super Patriot. Uh, and then whenever, as I say, Captain America abandoned his costume, uh, when he was added, he, he was asked to, he was asked, Cap Steve Rogers was asked to report directly to the Commission on Superhuman Activities, and Cap felt that he had grown beyond the name's original role as a symbol of America during the war, and he didn't want to be tied down to any sort of political or government agenda. So mm-hmm. he left. He left to, to become the captain, and uh, and at that time, uh, then eventually walker was 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 asked to take over uh, as as captain america and he very much was a u.s government uh a u.s government operative he was uh you know ma- at one point he said mom if uncle sam wanted me to be mickey mouse i'd do it you know so he <laughs> he was very much you know uh yeah yeah a to the line um sort of a slightly more right-leaning 
Captain America, and uh, eventually, you know, he was he was doing he, he reflected that that dark side of of America's politics, you know, uh, destabilizing uh, governments and and uh, you know exporting democracy, those sorts of things, you know. So it was it's kind of kind of interesting, especially at, at that time when you know the CIA was involved in in tricksy things. You know the all the Iran Contra stuff and and that. So yeah, it's uh, very much very much that. Eventually, Cap came back and uh, and of course took back the shield because because he needed to, you know. And uh, and, and John wasn't there, but uh, but yeah. So it's it was a West Coast Avenger as well for a while. And and uh, whenever he became U.S. agent, and as you say, Alan, he was involved in Force Works even even very very recently under under Matthew Rosenberg's uh, run as part of Iron Man Twenty Twenty. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I mean Christopher Priest is a certainly a writer that I enjoy his work. He did a really good run on Deathstroke and Rebirth, uh, including a really great six issue Deathstroke versus Batman arc, which was really really good. So uh, clearly a man of many talents. So yeah, with US Agent, that is going to be a five issue miniseries uh, to kick things off, which I think is a good is a good thing. I mean US Agent is maybe a character that. You know, it's not quite as well known as some of the core Marvel characters. So it's good to start it off with a mini series, then hopefully if that does well, they can announce a second volume and you know, that kind of thing rather than jumping in with this is an ongoing and you know, sort of stacking their chips almost, if you will. So uh yeah, so that is US Agent number one of five. So yeah, gonna move on then to our second round of picks. So for me it's another five issue mini series and a return to form with some DC stuff. So my pick is something that I probably picked about 16 months ago when we did this podcast because it was announced and then it just disappeared from view. Uh, this is a title called The Other History of the DC Universe. This is written by Oscar-winning screenwriter John Ridley, who I believe won the Oscar for 12 Years a Slave. So what this is, is in a nutshell, it's essentially examining key DC events in its history from the perspective of traditionally disenfranchised groups. So, for example, the first book here, I believe, is going to follow the story of Jefferson Pierce, the man who will ultimately become Black Lightning. Uh, and it's going to show his journey, you know, from being a young track star to a teacher and ultimately to his role as a hero. But the the idea for this book is that they see these key, D, key DC events, but instead of just you seeing the broad event, you're essentially seeing it from their uh, perspective, which you know will obviously come with different ideas about how it should be and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's actually going to be a, uh, a series that's going to present its story as prose, but it will be uh, accompanied by beautifully realized illustrations by a couple of different artists. You've got Giuseppe Camancoli and Andrea Cucci as well. So each issue is going to follow a different character. So as I say, the first issue is going to be Black Lightning. The second issue is going to focus on Karen and Mal Duncan. You've got Tatsu Yamashiro. And then you've also got an issue which is going to be from the point of view of Rene Montoya, who's a great character through through Gotham Central. So yeah, it's, it's put down here as extensively researched, which doesn't surprise me given the long lead-in time to it. Uh, and masterfully executed, the other history of the DC Universe promises to be an experience unlike any other. You may think you know the history of the DC Universe, but the truth is far more complex. So, yeah, I, th I think this sounds really interesting. I think it's obviously rather timely given the, you know, the way the world is at the moment with, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement and certain things being 
shown a lot more in society so i actually think this will be a really really great book and you know it's not often that oscar-winning screenwriters come across to you know the funny books if you will you know so having that kind of prestige and skill i think is a big is a big coup for the industry and i think this will be a big seller as well i mean the the pre-orders on it are strong uh i should say apologies keith it is a silly black label size so Ugh, for <laughs> pros yeah so it's it's so i i think okay. i should probably i should explain quickly with black label because we've we now have the the two definitions. They they have what are called prestige and prestige plus. If it's prestige plus, it's a bigger book. If it's prestige, it's sort of the size of three jokers or Batman Last Night on Earth, that kind of thing. So so apologies in advance, gents. This is a silly black label size one. So but don't let that stop you because I think it sounds great. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, that's that's my pick. I mean, is this something you guys think you'll be interested in picking up? Other than great. The, the size of it, of course. I'll let Keith go first. Um, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed Mark Wade's um, history of the Marvel Universe that was released last. Wasn't it last year, Alan? Yeah, it would have been towards the start of this year. Yeah, or it would have finished towards the start of this year. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, if this is the same thing for DC, then I'll really enjoy this as well. But I don't get the impression. I don't get the impression it is. Um, I think it might be a wee bit more. Um, I don't know, a wee bit more. Sounds. Sorry, Keith. I was gonna say it sounds. It sounds like a bit like Marvels for DC, but the people, like, the point of view character, or you know, Black Lightning or whatever. So. It's them kind of living through it. It's like a mm. hero living through it almost, I believe. It's, it sounds really interesting, to be fair. I mean, if they described it as as Marvel for Marvels for DC, then that, that would have sold it to me. But <laughs> stop talking, Roddy. Stop talking. We've got him. We've got him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds You're like welcome. something a little different. I mean, I, I think, as you say, Roddy, it's going to be different points of view. It's going to be. You know, instead of the point of view of obviously the reporter through Marvels, it's going to be different points of view and, you know, how heroes maybe affected these characters growing up, coming from different backgrounds and how they were inspired, you know, given the situations they were in and so forth. So I, I think it's going to be really cool. And as I say, pre-orders are strong for it uh, so far. So, um, yeah, I've, I've high hopes for this one. So, yeah, that's the other history of the DC Universe, number one. And again, that's going to be a five-issue miniseries. Um Vicky's second pick is something that I think someone else might have picked if she didn't. Uh, this is probably one of the standout titles of the month. This is a new Boom Studios title called Origins. Uh, it's written by Clay Chapman with art by Jacob Rebelka. So for this one, uh, a thousand years after humans are killed off by artificial intelligence, one man is brought back to life, David Adams, who created the technology that destroyed his people. Now with the help of the android Chloe who revived him, David will try to restore humanity and stop the AI overlords he created. He embarks on the greatest battle of his life, seeking redemption while also discovering if humanity can or should have any sort of future. This is why everyone would have recommended this. A new sci-fi epic for fans of Little Bird. And Descender from acclaimed writer Clay McLeod Chapman and illustrator Jacob Rebelka, based on a concept by Rashamel. Joseph Oxford and Lee Toland Crager. So, yeah, anything that is instantly compared to Little Bird, I am interested in. 
that little blurb does not do it justice compared to the preview pages that are in the previous oh, yeah. catalog that is some gorgeous artwork to say the least this book looks phenomenal and like it, it sort of has, it takes all the boxes it's like boom studio is number one really intriguing artist and writer combo and then once, once you get that blurb of like little bird which is something we all loved you're just like yeah yeah i'll, I'll have a bit of that yeah i mean the other title it compares it to is descender which is a uh jeff lemire dustin wayne book that you know i'm thoroughly enjoying the the sequel to which is ascender so if it's for fans of those ones i'm i'm straight on board with this i wonder if this will be the latest boom studios one to be announced as a six issue mini series and then by issue three it's an ongoing i'll uh something is killing the children or once in future <laughs> or no. gotta hedge your bets yeah absolutely <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think this is going to be a really class one, guys. I mean, we we always try to jump on early, especially these Boom Studios books, because it's it's one of those things, you know, when it comes to the secondhand speculator market, the, like see Boom number one's first prints, they, they suddenly become really hard to get. You know, Something is Killing the Children is a great example. I saw a, a sale the other day of a number one of it, and it was like 30 or 40 pound just for the number one. Uh, I think Once in Future is not much different. So get in on it early, guys. Even if you just give the first issue a try and you're, you're not a huge fan, it's probably worth still picking up straight away. So, uh, But yeah, that is Vicky's second pick, which is Origins number one of six. And what about you, Roddy? What is your second choice then? All right, so we're going to go back to Indie this time. And we're going for Scout Comic. Uh, and this is a number there's like quite an interesting story about this one and it's really cool to see them get to where they were um so back when i launched the kickstarter for the soul of the sea number one uh with donna donna black who was the artist on it um this guy the writer jordan thomas reached out to me and was like hey do you want to do some like kickstarter cross promotion and i was like yeah sure um so basically i backed i backed this Frank at home at the farm, which he he launched on Kickstarter, and he's funded all four of the issues. Um, can't say that about my one at the moment, but hopefully someday. So they, it's Jordan Thomas and Clark Bint, and ever ever since they sort of reached out, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I backed back their Kickstarter for this one, and I've got all three of the other issues, and it's a fantastic series, and they're really. Two really nice guys as well. Um, it's sort of one of those things where they, in order to promote the book, you need to talk about it and sell it and, you know, compare it to certain things. This one, I was reading the article earlier and it was like The Shining meets Twin Peaks. So hopefully that Sold. sells it on you. But um, <laughs> I kind of say it's one of those things where I would pitch it that you need, it's like one of those films you don't really know much about and you go to the cinema and you see it and it blows your mind and you're just like, this is a great horror film. This this book is kind of the same thing. I would just advise, you're going to have to take my word on this one. Pick it up because what it's sort of advertised at and what it becomes is something completely different. Um, so yeah, it's, well, the the initial blurb is it's about Frank, the titular character. He's a World War One veteran who's returned home to his farm and he's suffering from PTSD and there, his family has gone missing and he finds himself alone and isolated and 
it all turns to guff from there. Um, it's a stunning series. He launched all four of them on Kickstarter, and now now it's been picked up by Scout, and we've seen sort of seen a lot of Scout stuff. Um, Scout is sort of like delving into Kickstarter and picking stuff up. There was um, White Ash, Metal Shark Bro, North Bend, all these other ones as well. So, yeah, it's really it's really exciting. Um, I've had a few issues with Kickstarter recently with um, you know big names. Even Boom, I saw launch one today with um, Berserker, the Keanu Reeves and Matt Fraction one. So I've seen a lot of like these big companies trying to sort of use Kickstarter and feels a bit iffy to me. But and I think this this is what Kickstarter was all about. It was releasing a small independent thing, crowdfunded and with fellow creators and fans supporting it you know so it's good to see these guys succeed and it's really really worth picking up i have all four issues actually sitting uh, across the desk from me so yeah to really really and clark bint's art is absolutely stunning hopefully he gets um and jordan too but i'm hoping clark bent you know whatever he does next is going to be good would you compare this maybe to something then like gideon falls that certainly starts out as one thing but quickly evolves into something completely yeah, different. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good thing. Yeah, cuz I think I think the blurb sort of tells you to expect one thing and then it's not. <laughs> so, but it, you do you don't want to spoil it for anyone because but at the same time, you know, you have to you have to promote the work by sort of talking about it, but I th- I think it's a stunning stunning four issue mini series. Definitely worth jumping on as well. Awesome. So, yeah, that was the first of the really long titles that the guys got me to write on the board. That was Frank at Home (laughs) on the Farm, number one. Quality penmanship, of course. But then we had a nice short title for Keith's next one. Uh, So what have you got up for us then, Keith? Uh, I got a little something from Aftershop Comics, who uh, keep coming up again and again recently. Um, So it's a, a title called Miskatonic. Uh, from writer Mark Sable of God Killers, uh, Graveyard of Empires, uh, artist uh, Giorgio Pontrelli of Dylan Dog fame, uh, and they are joined on this creator-owned series by colorist uh, Pippa Bowland, letter uh, Thomas Maurer, and uh, cover artists Jeremy Hahn and Tyler Crook. Um, so... All things Lovecraft are fairly hot at the minute uh, with the, the launch of the new Lovecraft Country series. Watched the first episode of that, quite enjoyed it. Uh, very different take on things. Cool. And Miskatonic Valley will be familiar to appreciators of, uh, of Lovecraft. It holds many mysteries, cultists, worshipping old gods, uh, a doctor dead set on res- resurrecting the recently deceased and a house overrun by rats in the walls. But... Uh, but none more recent than a series of bombings targeting the Valley's elite. Uh, These horrors reach breaking point when the brilliant hard-nosed investigator Miranda Keller is sent to stop the bombings. To J. Edgar Hoover, there can be no other explanation than those responsible for similar actions during the Red Scare of the 1920s. But when Miranda digs too deep, she uncovers an unimaginable occult conspiracy that may cost her her job and her sanity. So... um, it all sounds it all sounds very very interesting. It's um, it's sort of be, it, it's, it's creator owned. It's after the success of the the novel turned TV series uh, Lovecraft Country. As I say, thing HP Lovecraft stuff seems to be seems to be really hot. So 
it's a 20s horror crime book uh hp lovecraft meets james elroy um it is a story of the one of the first female agents that would eventually become and what would be, eventually become the fba um but we say that but very few protagonists ever survive hp lovecraft um stories but at first, you know, there's a series of bombings. At first, it seems the, the work of radicals and immigrants or other undesirables that Hoover once rounded up, uh, just as he did after a similar series of, uh, of real-life bombings 10 years earlier. Uh, but in reality, you know, it's, it was a white supremacist occult conspiracy and can only be stopped by the very people that Hoover detests. So it's, it's sort of described as a, as a, a reverse, a kind of reverse X-Files which aims to celebrate Lovecraft's iconic cosmic horror while turning some of his backwards thinking on its head, you know, and, and that's really where Lovecraft country is going as well. You know, it's obviously a lot of Lovecraft's views are problematic now, especially around, around race and those sorts of things. So, so this, this seems to be going in that direction and uh, it seems like a really lovely way to, to do it. The art look the art the art looks fantastic. Uh, and I'm really interested to see where this goes. Um, one for you, Roddy. I think so. I think it'll have to be now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I haven't actually watched Lovecraft. I've got um, I'm working through Sopranos and then I've watched Outcry. And I'm going to watch this. I'll be gone in the dark as well. But I've Ooh. got, I think by the time I'm done, I'll have all of Lovecraft County just sitting there recorded. So I'll maybe just watch him one go. Okay. Been, been on a wee TV binge recently, but um, that, that's completely beside the point. But yeah, that that I've seen the preview art for that. It looks fantastic. Mm, so, really, and yeah. after Shocker killing it recently, we, Alan and I were reading Dead Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really intriguing series by them. And then there's they've just had a few more that have been absolutely cracking stuff. So yeah, there's the it's even like you think um like Im- image and you know boom are doing those awesome number ones, but it seems like everybody else is as well. Yeah, I mean Aftershock there's there's definitely a few titles recently I think we've all enjoyed. I mean I'm I'm reading one called Artemis and the, the Assassin, which is a really good time traveling assassin tale. I know that uh, we've both, as you say, been reading Dead Day. Uh, Keith was really enjoying, I believe, Join the Future uh, as well. Mm -hmm. There was Lonely Receiver. uh, Sorry, Lonely Receiver is one coming out this week that I'm really, really looking forward to. It's uh, been described as Twin Peaks in a comic, so sold again. Let's not not forget Undone by Blood. Undone by Blood. Oh, yeah. Flip, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then as well, another one just Roddy that I know that you really dug as well, which was Killer Groove as well. So yeah, so yeah, they've they've had a lot of good stuff recently, and I think they're starting to get a bit more um, exposure. Maybe we're talking about them a wee bit more as well, which hopefully hopefully helps because obviously we push Boom and Image quite a bit. But yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here, and you know the the writer of this one, Mark Sable, he describes the series as a 1920s horror crime book that's H.P. Lovecraft meets James Elroy. Mm-hmm. that's awesome that is a quote i suppose with um those aftershock books you really really gotta get it on your pro list or else you're not gonna get it on on the day it's it's the one thing i would say is that aftershock don't tend to do second printings i've i've not seen it i could be wrong in this and maybe someone will come in and tell me i'm an idiot but i i genuinely don't remember any second prints (laughs) of aftershock and i mean 
they've had people writing for them like Garth Ennis with Jimmy's Bastards. They've had Donny Cates with uh, Baby Teeth. You know, they've had some big creators there. And I'm been really, uh, I've been sort of thinking I might chase that. Uh, I mentioned it to you the other day, Alan, that Dark Arc by Colin Bunn. Yeah. Um, that looks like a really interesting, uh, a really interesting take on the uh, on the Noah myth. Um, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, but cool. Yeah, After... I think I think we'll all be on that one by the sounds of it. Miskatonic, similar to to you, Roddy. I've uh, I've got Lovecraft Country lined up. Uh, first two episodes are recorded on the old Skybox, so definitely going to jump into that at some point. So cool. So that was Keith's second pick from Aftershock Comics. That was Miskatonic number one. So interestingly enough, I'm just looking ahead at our little uh, notes that we have for this, and all four, the next four titles are all brand new number ones. Look at that. Uh, so I'll start off with myself. It's number one, but it is a one shot. Uh, it is another DC one. This is one to be honest that I think you'll either be on or you won't simply because this is continuing a character that's been introduced in the recent Tinian run of Batman, uh, certainly predominant through Joker War. So my third pick is the Punchline Special, number one. This is going to be a 48-page one-shot, as I say, written by James Tinian as well, but also co-written by Sam Johns. I just talked earlier there about Mercy and, and an artist and creator I was very, very big fan of called Mirka Andolfo. She's actually doing the art for this and covers Yasmin Putri for this. So it in the, a pretty good move for a change. It doesn't actually spoil how Joker War is going to end. It just says spinning out of the pages of the Joker War uh, comes the first solo book starring the blockbuster new character Punchline. As she faces the consequences for her role in the Joker War, the story of how Alexis K became Punchline will take Leslie Tompkins, Harper Rowe and Cullen Rowe on a harrowing journey that reveals a fringe teenager's radicalization to the ideology of a madman. It's a terrifying tale so big it demanded an oversized special issue. I'm getting real Harleen vibes off this. I really like the idea of an exploration of how a young mind can become radicalized to certainly to a character that for any rational person is going to look at and think that's an insane madman and you would never follow their practices. But there's obviously something seductive uh, about the Joker that has has you know attracts these people so to speak you know these fragile minds so i actually think this sounds a little bit more than your traditional cookie cutter one shots i think there could be a little bit more depth to this which i think could be pretty cool uh again the pre-orders are strong in this and i think that a lot of that is down to joker war itself being so well received uh i i know you're enjoying it keith i know i'm trying to get roddy into it but you know it's that's, <laughs> that's a blank canvas right there when it comes to batman I I do think I missed my I missed the opportunity to jump on with Tinian and it's I think it's gone forever. <laughs> Forever's a long time, Roddy. It is, it is. <laughs> you know, well you know, you're you're talking to two gentlemen right here that have that entire run that will happily lend you it. Happily. All right. <laughs> All right. That, that could be my next next one. Once I'm done with Daredevil I'll maybe read but yeah, I, I really like the sound of this, I have to say. When a punchline one shot was, you know, first of all mooted, I thought, oh, here we go, latest flavor of the month, this is just going to be a waste of time sort of one shot. But having that talent involved, certainly with Tinny and co-writing and, and the artist, as I say, I'm a big fan of. And then the blurb sounds really, really good. So looking forward to this. This is uh, due out on the 10th of November, so middle of the month. And again, that's going to be a 48-page one shot. So that's punchline special number one. 
Then moving on from that on to Vicky's next pick. Uh, this is something that I believe we're all on board for. I've been talking a lot about how much I'm really enjoying what AWA are doing. This is a new comic imprint in the last year. stands for Artist Writers and Artisans. And what they basically do is solicit short runs or complete volumes of story uh, as maybe a four or five issue run and that's it. There's been no indication of ongoings or we need 30 issues to tell this. They, they understand that they're a new imprint with some serious talent involved admittedly but they also understand the comic market and it's a case of let's do four or five issues if it sells well then this will happen which is a volume two for one of their launch titles we've all been enjoying this i believe which is year zero uh this is the zombie apocalypse tale which is told from multiple perspectives around the world it's written by benjamin percy who of course we know from you know wolverine and x-force and lots of other great stuff as well uh, the artist on this is one, Jose Rip. And again, this sounds really interesting with what they're doing. So this is once again going to be um, different points of view of the zombie apocalypse. But instead of continuing the journey of the characters introduced in the first volume, it's going to be four brand new uh, characters we're going to be following. Because this is what I think is great about Year Zero. It's, it's not just keeping this pandemic all in America or all in Great Britain. It's showing how it would affect, like, the world essentially so for this one it's going to be a grizzled norwegian sea captain and her two young grandchildren who are navigating an ocean teeming with undead while eluding the relentless pirates on their trail a colombian cartel boss indulges all of his most sadistic whims unaware that a threat far greater than zombies is headed towards his jungle fortress a rwandan doctor must overcome the crippling fear that has plagued him all his life as he stumbles through the african bush and a pregnant woman barricaded in an american big box store discovers that the greatest threat to her life and her unborn child might not be undead. So, yeah, I, I think what these guys are doing at AWA, it's starting to get a bit more notice in the store and, and more people are jumping on their stuff. I know, again, we talk about that pesky speculation market a little bit and Year Zero is one that fell prey to it. And what I would also say is if this is something you're interested in getting into, AWA recently solicited all their first trades and they're once again following the Image Comics model of releasing their first volume trades at $10. So essentially nine oh, pounds. Cool. So if you want to get into year zero before this comes out, I believe the, the trade will be available prior to volume two launching. But I mean, just look at that cover is stunning. It reminds me a little bit of World War Z where all the zombies sort of climb on top of each other. But in this one, they're actually climbing out of a jungle to try and reach an attack, hel an attack helicopter, <laughs> which is against a, you know, a, a massive sun in the background. It's just a beautiful, beautiful image. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he ever does those covers. The covers for all the first ones have been fantastic as well. Yeah, it's Carrie Andrews doing the covers. He does a lot of covers for DC as well. But you guys are both reading Year Zero, aren't you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's the, the retirement fund, as you described it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I may have a 9.8 coming back from CGC for it as well. But yeah, but the bottom line of it, though, is I think it's great storytelling. I think it's a fresh take on a very well worn genre. And I think the different perspectives really give it a, an, an original voice. So, you know, and, and I seem to remember, you know, when Year Zero was first solicited, we all recommended it. We all said, look, get on this, guys. This is going to be a great title. And then again, it, it proves difficult to get a first print of it. Uh, so, yeah, so get on on this early, guys. If for nothing else, then it's been a, a great story so far. So that's Year Zero, Volume 2, Issue 1. And what is your next pick then, Roddy? I believe another number one on the way. 
Yeah, another number one. Uh, this one, we're going for DC. Yes! But with the caveat that it's um, a classic Vertigo title being reimagined. Um, yes, yeah, so this is called Sweet Tooth The Return. Uh, number one is coming out on November 3rd. It is a black label title, but judging by the preview art, it is definitely prestige, did you say? Yeah, is so prestige is just the normal, normal size. Prestige plus is, is the larger. Yeah. So, Keith, you can tune back in. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so this is Sweet Tooth Return, and it's by the artist and writer is Jeff Lemire. And we also have Jose Villarubia, who does the colors as well. Um, Not something I've read, but Sweet Tooth was a series back in the 2000s, and it sort of ran for 42 or 43 issues, I think, by Lemire and Villarubia as well. So, the blurb sounds really intriguing to me. This is going to be a six-issue miniseries, but I'll just read it to you, and you can make you can make of it what you will. Sweet Tooth: The Return is no rehash of the original series, but rather a bold reimagining of the Sweet Tooth mythology, taking elements of the original series and remixing them into something familiar but totally new. A divided world, a planet long ago, past the point of devastation, at the center of it all, a child who didn't ask to be born into any of this, but he has no choice but to try and forge some life for himself. His visions and dreams may not be real at all. They may just be fiction, but they are hope, and sometimes hope is enough. So this sounds amazing. Uh, Alan did tell me there's a cardstock variant cover by Jim Lee, which sounds class. Jim Lee doing a very indie title. Sounds kind of intriguing to me. Um, and then if you don't know about Sweet Tooth, there's it's once upon a time, there was a little boy named Gus. He had antlers and lived with his father in a little cabin in the woods. Then his father died and the big man with cold eyes took Gus away. Gus went on many great adventures, found friends, love, happiness, family and acceptance. So I'm really, really intrigued by to find out what this is. I think fans of Sweet Tooth could just pick it up and they would love it. I think first first timers, if you've never read Sweet Tooth, it sounds like a great place to start. Not entirely sure what it's going to look like when it comes out, but certainly if it's a, if this is the first issue of a six issue mini series, could there be more mini series after? I certainly think so. So yeah, what what do you guys make of it? What do you think? What do you think we're going to see come November 3rd for this? I think it's a very unique idea for a comic to, quote, remix it. You know, it's you 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 run the risk of alienating both sets of fans, you know, people who are new to it and people who love it. But you also have that sort of carrot being dangled in front of you of uniting both of those different fan bases. I suppose um, I suppose we should actually say. It's quite timely because there is a Sweet Tooth uh, television series coming out, isn't there? Yeah, I believe it was Robert Downey Jr. optioned it. I don't know if he's in it per se or if he's just sort of producing it. But, but yeah, I mean, there's even a little bit of an interview in the DC Connect where, you know, one of the questions is the first issue reads as both a continuation and a new start. How did you approach to making a new reader a, a new reader friendly while speaking to the loyal fans of the series? And Jeff Lemire said, my goal was to make this new story completely accessible to any new readers, but also loaded with connections to the original as well. So it's it sounds very unique, to say the least. One thing I will say is, and I can't believe I'm about to throw in about the fourth Twin Peaks reference in this podcast, <laughs> but 
Jeff Lemire is a huge Twin Peaks fan, and apparently the fact that it's called Sweet Tooth The Return is not a coincidence because Twin Peaks came back a couple of years ago and it was called Twin Peaks The Return. So it's a little nod and a wink to oh, that. Right. Um, but yeah, even in, just as you were saying about that uh, Netflix show, uh, Robert Downey Jr. has a wee quote in DC Connect as well that says, the sweetest things are worth waiting for. Can't wait to share it with you all. So Sweet um, enough, love. <laughs> So, as people used to say to me in coffee shops <laughs> but yeah i've i've never read sweet tooth either so it it came through sort of in that vertigo golden period it was sort of towards the end of that vertigo golden period i think mm. but i've never read it is it one you've read yourself keith or is this brand never, new to you i have never touched it at all i was aware of the just the, the character with a with the antlers and whatnot but I've, I, I've no i've got no background at all uh i would sort of be be interested in picking it up and i think it sounds just based on the as you say on the timeliness of it that that's exactly why they're doing it in order to introduce the character prior to the tv series yeah you know that's why they're remixing as they say but that's it it is an interesting concept you know but then in some ways they've done it before with ultimate spider-man you know and uh, the ultimate universe and dc's never done remix in its universe you know mm, not particularly no i suppose they have the multiverses which are all remixes of their main mm, universe yeah. so uh cool so that was roddy's third pick that is sweet tooth the return number one of six so the next two picks are coming to you from keith yeah well keith uh and uh and uh also steven because he wouldn't forgive us if we didn't <laughs> talk about this um so yeah, two picks because it's really, it's really, it's it's one title, two new series, two new teams, a new beginning for all Power Rangers is here. Uh, so the Power Rangers is uh, is a license that I have been interested in getting into in comic form for for quite some time, but there's never been there's never been a jumping on point um, that uh, you know I've been interested in and in potentially that. Uh, Shattered Grid, wasn't that the uh, wasn't that the yeah. uh, the series the crossover? So uh, my intention is still to to grab that, but uh, this just seems like a really great a really great jumping on point for for Power Rangers to say it was a series that that I sort of kind of missed just based on my age whenever it first came on the on the TV. Um, you know, I was a wee bit too old for the for what was going on. Was- I was the perfect age. <laughs> I, I'm a big Power Rangers fan over here. Okay. So I, I think my my mother had to take me to see the Power Rangers movie. God help her. God knows what she was thinking. Oh, that was when a bad movie. <laughs> I, was a, I remember but going yeah, to cinema uh, to see that as well. Yeah. Not fun. <laughs> was but there not a Power Rangers <laughs> movie released more recently? Yeah, I believe it had Brian Cranston in it, of all people, as yeah, well. Yeah, I was going to say, Roddy, are you not a wee bit old for your mommy to be taking you to the cinema? <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say, <laughs> Keith, that, that three years ago. it's interesting that you say you were too old to get into Power Rangers at the time, but now, as a man in his early 40s, you're like, I'm really looking forward to getting into Power Rangers. Yeah, well, yeah, because, <laughs> uh, because I think that the comics are a, are a different kettle of fish than the, <laughs> you know, than the series. So anyway, uh, Boom Studios has the, has the Power Rangers license, and it's announced... Two new titles, two brand new titles uh, to relaunch Power Rangers under um, under a a banner called the Unlimited Power Era. 
uh, and that's uh, I say it's starting in, in November. The first of the titles is Mighty Morphin. Uh, they're both written by writer Ryan Parrott, who previously has written Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, Batman, IDW Star Trek uh, books, including uh, Starfleet Academy, Bold to Go, and Manifest Destiny. And uh, he's writing Dead Day, or he's co-writing Dead Day for Aftershock currently as well. Ryan Parrott, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, he, we talked about him last month as well. He's doing Ultraman for Marvel. That's right, absolutely, and uh, and rising star artist uh, Marco Rena is on uh, on the on one of the titles. Uh, the other title, also written by uh, Ryan Parrot, has acclaimed artist uh, Francesco Mortarino on it. So two titles: Mighty Morphin Number One and Power Rangers Number One. Um, so in in Mighty Morphin Number One, uh, a new Power Ranger, a new Mighty Morphin team has assembled to take on the deadliest threats to Earth. But there's this new mysterious all-new Green Ranger by their side. Uh, the new Mighty Morphin team is on collision course with an even deadlier Lord Zed, who has a new mission and a new motiva- motivation, one that will change everything you thought you knew about our heroes, apparently. Now, that's not much for me, so I'm really interested. <laughs> uh, but even if the Mighty Morphin team can find a way to survive Zed and their mysterious new enemies, they may discover the greatest threat to their future is the shocking secret of Zordon's past. So it's a new Mighty Morphin the epic beginning here for longtime fans and new readers alike. Um, so I'm sort of really looking forward to that. It says it's it's coming out of the the back of uh, Necessary Evil, uh, which was uh, the last crossover, I guess, of the previous Power Rangers series, but it seemed like a really good opportunity not only to start fresh, but to focus stories on new Mor- Mighty Morphin teams like they, they haven't before. Um, and then the second title is Power Rangers number one. As I say again, Ryan Parrott, Francesco Mortarino. And Power Rangers 1 is, is the second of these new series and new teams. Reveals a new cosmic threat that only the original Power Rangers, who are now known as the Omega Rangers, Jason, uh, Trini, and Zack, can hope to defeat. But their secret weapon uh, is the villainous Lord Draken. Uh, Lord, Lord, I think Lord Dracon was... I don't know. I, I feel like I should know who that is. Um but uh, Zordon forbids the Omega Rangers from contacting Draken, so if they want to save the universe, they'll have to go rogue and go up against their mighty Morphin allies. So uh, I think this looks like it's it's going to be really interesting. They spent years building this Power Rangers comic book universe, and the continued adventures of the Omega Rangers apparently gives them a chance to fully explore it beyond the confines of the show, separate it from that canon, and uh, and explore corners of the Power Rangers universe that, that fans have have always imagined but never expected um so yeah so we'll, we'll we'll see how see how that goes um i'm sure they will they'll line up back to back they're released the same month you know if you put the two titles together it's mighty morphin power rangers <laughs> you know it's you, you can't you can't uh you can't blame me for picking these two titles as one title. yeah i wonder is it the same day they're being released or is it every kind of two weeks did you you didn't notice anything did you that um that i'm not sure um, sorry put you on the spot there <laughs> uh, I, I i don't know i know they're both they're both november i'm just not sure uh, if they're both the same day yeah. Roddy, or not um it's it's yeah i feel the same as you you know i've got a certainly got a twinge of nostalgia for all things power rangers absolutely adored it when i was a kid and then I think we, you and I maybe came back to comics like slightly 
as it was currently ongoing and you always it's we talk about word of mouth as well and it's lasted for so long at this point that it could only be quality um and i'm really looking forward to it i think it there's been amazing maybe 55 issues has it gone maybe more and then with all the crossovers and events and stuff i know shattered grid was is held in really high regard so yeah um it's just what you do as a comic fan you're just looking for that jumping on point and i i'm certainly when there's a wee a wee break in the pull list certainly going to try and source some of those graphic novels of the original that original boom series yeah i can confirm just looking at the release list that mighty morphin is due for november 4th and then power rangers is due for november 11th so just a week between them whether they're going to be fortnightly and alternate or whether it'll just be a case of they'll both be monthly but one will come out one week one will come out the other so uh we should say that you know, please, please, please pre-order this as much as you can because Stephen really, really, <laughs> really wants a one to twenty-five variant, and I he, he messages me every couple of days about it. What are the numbers like? What are the numbers like? So, uh, <laughs> so, so please pre-order this, guys, just so I can get Stephen off my back. Uh, but no, I'm I'm with these guys. I I think that the Power Rangers mythology has definitely grown in the last couple of years. I think ever since they did that Shattered Grid storyline, seemed to give it a slightly more adult spin and people then jumped onto it and with this i think it is a good jumping on point because yeah you've got those two number ones i really like the writer as as roddy had mentioned earlier a series called dead day that he's writing that's very very good so yeah and it and it's interesting that he's writing them both you know it's it's different artists for both titles but it's sort of unique it's one singular vision for both titles so i suppose i'll let you away with it keith they fall under one title Thank you, Alan. And I, I mean, I think that'll be that'll be nice, you know, having that one writer, you know, on both titles will will give you that, uh, you know, that solidarity, that that uh, continuity ability for them to continuity and the ability for them to bounce off one another and and build a larger a larger story and a larger mythology, you know. So yeah, um, I'm getting really excited. I'm going to have to order that Shattered Grid as well for sure. Um, <laughs> if I can find a if I can find a good format for it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a big massive trade paperback for it. I recently, just speaking of Stephen, he got into Gogo Power Rangers and Mighty Morphin recently, and I sourced a lot of the the trades for him. That's how he's sort of catching up to prepare for this event. So, uh, yeah, I mean the the pre orders are quite strong, and obviously I'm joking about Steve. Well, semi joking about Stephen and his one to twenty five, but uh, yeah, there is uh, a lot of interest in this, and I think a lot of people did want a jumping on point for it um so there was there's a lot of great variants as well like uh mateo scalera and there's a few others i've seen and can't quite remember the names now but there's a lot of fantastic looking variants on it yeah there's a lot of the top it's a lot of choice about. yeah so yeah cool well that is from boom studios that is mighty morphine number one and power rangers number one so I'm going to take my lead from Keith and recommend two titles in one. <laughs> Honestly, they fall under one title. Uh, so we're back to DC again for me, and they have announced two new Tales from the Dark Multiverse one-shots for November. So for those that don't know, Tales from the Dark Multiverse were essentially darker tales on classic DC stories. So the first ones came out in 2019, and they covered Batman Nightfall, The Death of Superman, Blackest Night, Infinite Crisis and new teen titans the judas contract so for this one they're actually going to be doing sort of dark and twisted versions of two of my personal favorite stories uh, from dc mythology so one of them is from hush 
and one is from Flashpoint. Now, the Hush one sounds awesome, so it does. So it's going to be written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, so that should instantly have your attention, Keith, due to him writing oh, The yes. Last God. The Last God, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It has interior art by Dexter Soy and cover art by David Marquez, who we've known so well from Batman Superman. So for this one, the story finds Bruce Wayne and Tommy Elliot's roles reversed, with Elliot having become Gotham's Dark Prince and Wayne transforming into Batman the Silenced. So... That looks fantastic, first of all. And then for Flashpoint, what it's going to be is it's going to be an exploration of the Flashpoint storyline if Barry Allen had never sort of set it right, so to speak. So that a lot of people are guessing that, you know, he dies when he gets struck by lightning. Uh, so this is going to continue the Thomas Wayne as Batman. It's going to continue with Wonder Woman and Aquaman still at war. And the reverse Flash potentially playing a heroic role in proceedings. So this, uh, the Flashpoint one, I should say, is written and illustrated by Brian Hitch, sort of long-term industry legend. So those are two one-shots. I feel that anyone who signs up for one is sort of signing up for them both anyway. Uh, it was the same with the, the first strike of Tales from the Dark Multiverse ones as well. So two 48-pagers, two square-bound books, I believe. Uh, that is something to really, really look forward to. And again, I think they sort of fall under the one title. So I'm using that as my get out of jail free clause uh, in that scenario so yeah that was my fourth pick so that's tales from the dark multiverse hush and flashpoint uh, i'll just throw out vicky's fourth choice which was actually a resolicit it's something that she had recommended a couple of months prior but obviously the way the industry went there for a few months that it got delayed so this one is kick-ass versus hit girl this is number one of a five issue miniseries so written by steve niles perhaps most well known for 30 days of night but he has actually been writing some of Kick-Ass uh, for this return volume. And it's Art Bar Mar- Marcelo Frusen. So it's Kick-Ass versus Hit-Girl. Old allies become enemies when Mindy screeches into Albuquerque to kill the imposter who's been running gangs in New Mexico. And as Hit-Girl sets out to avenge Dave and stop Kick-Ass's criminal operations for good. Patience fights to survive as the target of the best assassin in the biz and questions whether she could ever kill a child to save her own life. So, yeah, they're they're always fun series, Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl. They're sort of just entertaining stuff, you know, not tons of depth to them, but they're, they're a good dose of escapism for sort of 15, 20 minutes at a time. So that is Kick-Ass versus Hit-Girl number one. And I believe now we're on to your fourth pick, Roddy. What do you got for us? Yeah, so um, we're going to go to IDW for now, and this is called Sea of Sorrows, number one, and uh, number one of a five-issue miniseries in shops November 18th. Uh, so, la- like, time is just going very strangely. Last year, I believe, Rich Dueck, the writer, and Alex Cormack, the artist, had a series called Road of Bones, which was a horror book um, kind of about them escaping a Russian gulag. And it was absolutely fantastic. Alex Cormac's art is utterly phenomenal in this sort of terrifying, nightmarish way. And so they're going from the Road of Bones to the Sea of Sorrows, basically. That was, Road of Bones was like a... They're doing this kind of historical horror thing, which I'm really, really interested in. Um, I watched this, I've read this book on a great TV show about it called The Terror, about the uh, one of the British ships that explored the Arctic, same with HMS Erebus as well. Um, it kind of had the same sort of vibe as this. Uh, but I'll read you the blurb anyway. In the aftermath of the Great War, the North Atlantic is ripe for plunder by independent salvage crews. 
When a formal naval officer hires the SS Vagabond, he leads the ship to a sunken U-boat and a fortune in gold. Tensions mount as the crew prepares to double-cross each other, but the darkness of the ocean floor holds deeper terrors than any of them have bargained for. Plunge headfirst into the icy waters of dread with another historic tale of terror from writer Rich Duick and artist Alex M- oh, sorry, Alex Cormack. Yeah, I uh, can't wait for this. Um, Road of Bones was one of, one of the best miniseries of last year. And I certainly don't think this one will disappoint. And if they can, if they can carve like a little corner of uh, historical horror into the IDW sort of canon, that'd be really a really cool thing. You know, I'd love to see it. Maybe every year they do. They certainly you know pick something and find a great horror tale in it. So yeah. Alex Cormack did Sync, didn't he, Alan? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. my obligatory, my obligatory shout out for Sync, which yeah. <laughs> I will work in whenever I can. I really uh, gotta get it. I really gotta get the whole thing. I think you're just saying that to me so that I'll give you Sync before you have to read Tinian's Batman. I think that's. <laughs> I I see your plan here, but no, Sync is wonderful and it's it's dark and comedic and horror filled. But the art was always a standout on it, and Road of Bones was one I I read myself as well. So. Yeah, big, big fan of Sync. With Sea of Sorrows, it was one that was, again, you know, a victim of the pandemic. It was originally solicited back in March, was going to be out for a May release. And they, they've obviously had to hold it back, but try and keep that momentum and, you know, interest going. I was looking it up when I was like, I saw all these advanced reviews. Yeah, and they were and all in like, like April and stuff. Like, where, where did these come from? And uh, so all the all the reviews of it are out there, which is quite, quite funny. But yeah that uh if you see get a chance to look at the cover it's absolutely gorgeous well i i put out a little picture of our previews board on twitter today and rich duek you know retweeted it and said thanks guys for the the recommendations so they're obviously good oh, fr- they're obviously good friends with uh you know our canto buddies david Embor and drew zucker because they both highlighted the fact that we had highlighted sea of sorrows as well and they tagged rich duek in it and stuff so uh yeah it's it's a small world as i say it's a small world but yeah looking forward to that one myself the the thing is the pre-orders in it were already strong when it was originally drew out due out in may so a lot of people have carried that over and then hopefully we'll we'll attract some new guys for that as well so yep cool that's sea of nice. sorrows number one and what about yourself keith what is pick number four well this is the this is the one that you really liked putting on the board because it was such a long title uh, my my fourth pick is Hillbilly, the treacherous treason of Twelve Toe Maggie, uh, number one of three, uh, written and drawn by Eric Powell for Albatross Comics, Albatross Funny Books. Sorry. Um. So I kind of uh, there was a free comic book day. Um, there was a release about two weeks ago. Uh, it was called. Uh, it was called um, Hillbilly, the uh, the lizard, uh, the lizard of Rust, Rust, Lusty, Rusty Creek Cave, um, and it was phenomenal. The writing and the art in it was unbelievable um, by Eric Powell of uh, Goon fame, I believe, isn't that right? Is indeed, um, yeah. Alan. Yeah. So, uh, so after reading that, I did a wee bit of uh, looking, and I had Alan order me the. Uh, the 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 three or four previous uh, trade paperbacks of Hillbilly and um, and in in, in uh, previews this this week 
uh, for November we see a, a brand new story. So Hillbilly is it's an Appalachian mountain fantasy epic that tells the story of a wandering hillbilly by the name of Rondell. Uh, he's a lonely figure who wanders the wooded hills among witches and magical creatures as a folktale hero to those who dwell in this uh, like gritty dreamlike world. Um, and it's just <laughs> the free comic book day story was unbelievable. And uh, Roddy, I think you would really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I remember um, was the last week when we were all together with um, doing the Canto podcast. You when we were having dinner, <laughs> just remember you explaining all the plot tips for, for, was it like 20 minutes? You were like, oh no, <laughs> like the entire plot. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, sorry, I got this, excited. This great. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is uh, this is a, another tale of, of Rondell. There, there are many tales of Rondell, the wandering hillbilly, and this is the next one. Some years after the Great Witch War, Rondell finds himself in an uncomfortable situation in the service of his former captor, Twelve-Toe Maggie. Now Rondell has to figure out how to keep his word and take the head of the Twelve-Toed Witch with the Devil's Cleaver at the same time. So, uh, yeah, uh, really looking forward to this. Um, it's it's one of three, and uh, I am not at all familiar with uh, with Rondell, the, the wandering hillbilly, but uh, I'm hoping I... I will be by the time this uh, this this book comes out, uh, if if Alan can get those trades for me. Oh, they're but, on the way. Uh, they're on the brilliant. way. Brilliant. Uh, really, really fantastic stuff. So uh, so looking forward to to getting some some singled issues of a of a new story of uh, of Rondell. Uh, but yeah, just just a real interest in I don't know that that sort of folk tale Appalachian fantasy sort of dreamy type. It, it was just so good. There was there was stuff in it that reminded me of Bone, but in a much grittier way. You know, it was uh, very very good stuff. Very good stuff. So, so yeah. So that's me uh, with with choice four. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Eric Powell. You know, you'd mentioned the Goon there. I I collect that at the moment, and there was a really great story he did before I was throw to throw out the people called Big Man Plans, which is very very good as well. His his style is sort of cartoony but sort of realistic but sort of whimsical but you know and they're big chunky characters and it's it, yeah i really at it, like the style of it it reminded me a bit of middle west there's a sniff of that about it as well Roddy. Yeah, like i don't know anything about it apart from you know what you told me but i kind of got that vibe obviously different different places in the states but it kind of had that fantasy vibe yeah uh, color me intrigued <laughs> Cool. So if I can get this out all in one breath, that was Keith's fourth choice. Hillbilly, the treacherous treason of 12-toed Maggie, number one. Uh, yeah, so that is the first four picks from all of us. So we're going to finish off now with what we see as our biggest pick of the month. We've got our nice mix here of indie and Marvel. No DC. That makes me sad. But, well... So I'm going to kick things off with an indie book that I personally think has probably got the potential to be one of the biggest indie books of the year, given oh, the yes. creative talent involved. So to this moment, uh, to this date in the store, the biggest indie book is Undiscovered Country, Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, uh, Giuseppe Camoncoli. And the one that's sort of catching it up a little bit is Berserker, but I think that's because of the uh, influence of Kenny Reeves. But this has the potential to outgross both of those. Everything Donny Cates touches at the moment pretty much turns to gold. 
and he announced a new book coming out on November 4th. Uh, he is reteaming with his artist from God Country, Jeff Shaw, and you've also got art contr- contributions by Dee Cunniff and some cover art by Dave Stewart. So there, there's not actually been an awful lot revealed about this. There, there are some previews pages, but I sort of hold back on those. I don't really read into them too early. But this one is called Crossover. So brand new number one. I believe it's an ongoing. And the, the blurb for it is very short. So the creative powerhouses behind the best-selling critically acclaimed God Country, Thanos wins, and Redneck returns for the biggest launch of the year. Hey, they stole my words. Uh, imagine everything you thought was fantasy was real. And now join us in a world where reality is dead and anything is possible. As I say, Donny Kate's name just sells comics these days. I, I actually think he might be the best self-promoter in comics at the moment. If he has something coming out, everybody knows about it and everybody wants it. His Thor run has been wonderful so far. His Venom run has been uh, a juggernaut as well. You know, Thor, just to give you an example, Thor number one is back to sixth print. Thor number two is back to fifth print. Thor number three is back to fourth print and so on and so forth. It's only six issues in and yet they keep reprinting it because the demand is there uh, and they keep selling as well. So his name on this, but also again, being partnered again with Jeff Shaw, God Country is one of the best six issue miniseries you'll ever read. Uh, Very, very good uh, tale about a man in a relationship with his father at its base level and then it goes off in all, all manner of sort of fantastical directions as well but again the pre-orders in this are already strong but i i fully expect them to get bigger and bigger uh because again donny Cates will make sure this is everywhere and he's he's shipping up to have that you know massive end of the year as we alluded to earlier certainly with king and black coming in december which will definitely be marvel's biggest event of the year based on the absolute carnage numbers from before so yeah really can't wait for this i think it's going to be absolutely awesome and again it has the potential to topple undiscovered country i think is the biggest indie title of the year wow so so, yeah can't can't hype it any more than that so if you don't enjoy it it's it's all my fault not not donny (laughs) kate's fault (laughs) so yeah so that's crossover and then i'll just throw out what i assume will be vicky's biggest pick of the month She's now looking over at me, curious as to what I've chosen. Uh, So what I chose is potentially her biggest of the month is Wolverine Black, White and Blood. Uh, So this is a anthology tale, I believe. This has got multiple writers, multiple artists. Uh, Writers on this include Jerry Duggan, our our good friend Declan Shelby and Matthew Rosenberg. And art also by Declan Shelby, Joshua Cassara. And you've Adam Kubert on cover duty. So... Top Marvel talents sink their claws into all new Wolverine tales and they're bloodier than ever. Logan, Patch, Weapon X, Wolverine. The mysterious mutant has gone by many names and lived many different lives. Now experience all new untold tales of the best there is through the lens of an all-star cast of creators in the unadulterated black and white format with a healthy splash of blood red all over. This, This seems a little Harley red, white and black to me anyway uh return to the weapon x program with jerry duggan and adam kubert and a new revelation from wolverine's shattered memories join matthew rosenberg and joshua cassara on an explosive deep cover spy mission from wolverine's association with nick fury and then head into the wilds with writer artist declan shelby as logan finds himself in the crossfire of a deadly trap this is the one you've been waiting for bub and then a rather nice uh, parental advisory warning at the end there which i think is is quite nice giving the blood red dripping violent cover so 
yeah, Wolverine's a big seller in the store ever since the the X launch. Wolverine's been a, a really strong performer for Marvel, so I think this will uh, attract quite a few people as well. I'm guessing it's outside of continuity because it's you know just sort of untold tales. So it'll be really easy and accessible for new readers as well in that sense. So I would say as long as you know the basics of of Logan, you'll you'll be absolutely grand with this. So uh, it is number one of four, I believe. So November fourth for that one. Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood. And now we move on to yourself, Roddy. So what is your pick of the month from the previews book? Cool. So um, you mentioned Blood Red there, a Blood Red title. So this one also, if you get a chance to look at the cover, it's a gorgeous uh, blood red background. So there's a bit of uh, crossover there. But this one is from Behemoth Comics, who I don't think we've ever talked about before, but certainly looking on their website, they have a lot of intriguing titles. And this one really stood out to me in the previous book because it is based on a very, very good uh, vampire film called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is which was released in 2014. And it was directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. And it's sort of the uh, tagged as the first Iranian vampire Western. It's If yeah. you get a chance to see it, please do it is so amazing it's really a fantastic film set in this sort of fictional iranian town uh, what's called bad bad city and it sort of follows uh, the girl who's like a lonely vampire so she just basically at first gets into a lot of mischief and a lot of like just general sort of mischief and actions but then soon becomes embroiled into sort of a bigger plot regarding you know drug dealers and unsavory inhabitants but this the comic a girl walks home alone at night number one long title uh, it's coming out on november 18th and it's written by the director of the film and it explores the girl's sort of past and a bit of how she came to be as a vampire so i'm really looking forward to this it's the artist is michael deweese and letters are patrick brosseau um you gotta you gotta look it up because the the covers alone are absolutely stunning and the interior artwork definitely unique and i don't think there's a lot of um there's a lot of use of blacks like a lot of strong inky blacks there's not a lot of white and what white there are it's the faces so it's a really unique looking book and i'm really i'm really excited for it and it's something never really heard of behemoth before but maybe certainly one to look out for like you know your aftershocks and mad cave comics and a lot of all those other small kind of indie publishers doing great stuff this was uh released in I think 2015 as well by another publisher but it was done as a graphic novel and I don't think it had a very wide release so I think this is trying to take it to so that more people's eyes are on it basically so I can't I can't recommend the film enough and if this if this comic is anything like the film it's definitely worth checking out so I'm really looking forward to it and it's a I think it's a five issue mini series I believe so yeah well i'm i'm a big proponent of uh good music to listen to while you read a comic so does this movie have a really good soundtrack that would 
complement the comic quite nicely as well. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I think so. I think so. Yeah, you'd be you'd be intrigued. It's yeah, it's a gourd absolutely fantastic film. You you gotta check out the film if you haven't already. Yeah, it's one I've seen trailers for before, but I've never actually got around to watching it, so must must do something about that. I do like a good foreign horror movie. Let the right yeah. one in is probably my favourite when it comes to that. Don't know if you yes. guys have seen that. Yep. Wonderful yep. movie. Uh cool. So that was Roddy's pick of the month, which is A Girl Walks Home at Night. So we're gonna finish off with yourself, Keith. Uh your pick of the month. Would it be fair to say that this is Marvel's biggest title of the month and possibly their biggest gamble of the month? I would say that that would be a, a, be, a be, that would be fair, Alan. That would be fair. Um, it's also uh, very much uh, in line with your uh, your ethos of uh, following uh, following creators. Um, so we've got Eternals number one by Kieran Gillen of uh, Wicked and Divine, Uncanny X-Men, Thor, Once and Future fame, uh, writing, and Isad Rubik on uh, art. Uh, we know Isad Rubik from uh, from Secret Wars, King Thor, Conan, uh, those sorts of things. So I think... Roddy is talk- nodding along with the biggest smile on his face there. Uh, and and it, looks, <laughs> it looks beautiful. But I think before we talk about the comic... Shall we talk a little bit about who the Eternals are? I think that's fair. I think even though there is uh, certainly the Eternals movie coming soon, obviously with COVID happening and that movie being pushed back, I think there is probably a lack of awareness. I mean, I'm, I certainly don't have a lot of exposure, so I say the floor is yours, Keith. Okay, well, it's interesting because although there's no DC titles in our final five here, um, this could in some ways be called uh, a, a DC Marvel title. Um but we'll we'll talk about that in, in just a wee minute. Uh, the Eternals themselves are uh, a powerful cosmic race that have existed for millennia. They look exactly like humans, but they possess superhuman abilities granted to them by the Celestials. Celestials are the space gods of the Marvel Universe who visited Earth about five million years ago and conducted experiments on uh, proto our proto-human ancestors, and in doing so, they created two races. The Eternals and the Deviants. Eternals are immortal and immune to extremes of temperature and disease and poison. They're really hard to kill. Um, they possess a whole range of superpowers thanks to the power cosmic that they're imbued with. You recognize the power cosmic because that's what imbues Galactus and uh, Silver Surfer and all of those sorts of things. Uh, superhuman strength, durability, flight, teleportation, accelerated healing, cosmic rays from their eyes or hands, all things that, uh, that Eternals can do. But you know, you, you, you sort of maybe ask what makes them different from the X-Men then. But what the Eternals can do is they can wield powers. They can combine to wield powers that the other ways couldn't. They can bring their physical and mental states together into this uh, gestalt being known as the Unimind and therefore can uh, wield powers that they couldn't other ways wield. There's a whole list of Eternals in the comics. Um, and I'm sure there's there's going to be a load of them in the movie as well. Um the, the most famous Eternal is Icarus. Uh, he's the most well-known. He's got psychic abilities. He can plant thoughts in people's minds and create illusions to protect his uh, his uh, true identity. There's there's a whole lot of others. Thena carries a spear and a bow and can emit hot and cold energy. Ajax can communicate with nearby Celestials. Uh, Sprite, who still looks like a kid, can induce amnesia. Makari is the speedster. 
um and then you know there's so there's a, there's a whole whole bunch of them uh the deviants meanwhile are a genetically unstable unattractive race of mutants who've waged a millennial long war in the eternals originally thanos was a was a, among their number but i don't know if that's been since retconned um but given his less than pleasant appearance and his crazed ideologies that's you know uh, <laughs> you sort of understand so anyway the, the the eternals and the deviants have lay have, have been wedging this millennia long war and that that generally is the is the crux of it um whenever i said that that there's kind of a dc connection here it's because the eternals actually began life at dc uh jack kirby who we know as the iconic Marvel comic artist and illustrator, created the New Gods franchise during his stint at DC. I believe that's something you're reading right now, Alan. Yeah, I've been reading the last couple of graphic novels the last few nights, so it's uh, it's been pretty pretty great stuff, but I understood that it didn't sell as well as maybe they, they had hoped. Yeah, I mean, it didn't get off the ground, and it was, it was cancelled fairly quickly, so that's whenever Kirby rejoined Marvel, and he reworked the ideas from the New Gods into what became the Eternals. Um, so they debuted in 1976, didn't do much better at Marvel, uh, and uh, was again scrapped before it was completed. The The Eternals came back again in the early 80s in Thor, um, and there was, a, there was a run there. And uh, the, I, I can't remember who was writing Thor at the time, but they sort of, I guess, finished off the, the story then. And then... In 2006, Neil Gaiman... Uh, Roy, and, was it Roy Thomas? It was. Mark Grunewald? It was. That's exactly who it was. That's exactly who it was, Roddy. Well done. Um, they were revived again in 2006 by Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. Um, and they tried to make it sort of mainstream, but it didn't really. I think there was seven issues there, something along those lines. Yeah, that, that one I've actually read. I've got the graphic novel of that. And... The, I think the first first issue is like oversized as well. I think it was supposed to be like yeah. a six issue miniseries, and yeah. then you know they did a DC. You know and they were like, we need more. We need That's... that in a seventh. <laughs> uh... But um, I, I remember being really good. I I remember liking it, but I haven't I haven't read it in a in a while now. But yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous looking book as well. Yeah, it was that was JRJR. So you know to be expected. Um, yeah. But the last time I remember seeing the Eternals was in Jason Aaron's Avengers run, and uh, it was an issue four, and they were all killed in a story arc that involved Dark Celestial. So, uh, so obviously we're picking up after after that with the with the Eternals and uh, and so forth. So this Eternals number one is say Kieran Kieran Gillen and Isad Ribich. It says for millions of years, one hundred Eternals have roamed the Earth. Secret protectors of humanity. Without them, we'd be smears between the, the teeth of the demon-like deviants. Their war has waged for all time, echoing in our myths and our nightmares. But today, Eternals face something new, change. Can they or anyone on Earth survive their discovery? From the thought-provoking minds of Kieran Gillen and Isad Ribbit comes a new vision of the classic Marvel mythology. So it really is that. You know, it's, it's you know, the, 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 the Eternals are... They, they they thread down through Marvel, you know, Marvel mythology and, and you know, went through, you know, the Marvel stuff and the Marvel X stuff and, and all of that, you know. So it's it's interesting. As you say, Alan, it's it's a risk. It's a risk because it's never in any form really ever taken off as a as a lead story. But whenever you look at the talent on it, um, 
you know, and that's not even to uh, to talk about the 35 variant covers that I know you're dying to chat about. 37. Sorry, 37. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, so... the, the, the variant covers are a, a who's who of talent, but I just find it weird that they're, you know, this is a title that is risky. It doesn't have a built-in fan base the way a Spider-Man would have or an Avengers would have or a Thor would have. And yet, to launch this many variants with it, I think is a really, really risky move. I mean, we have a lot of collectors come into store who will happily collect A and B of a series, or there'll be the odd exception, like three Jokers, where they'll get A, B, and the three premium. That's five covers. I don't see a lot of people, and the aside, of course, who will want all 37 <laughs> covers. So I don't oh, understand. I, do I don't right understand. There. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you're already jostling for space on the racks, and if you have all these different covers up, I think a normal person who's not, you know, listen, normal person's the wrong word. Say someone who's new to comics will look at all these different covers and they'll think they're all different titles. You know, surely you want to have loads of that cover A just on the racks and, you know, uh, stay away from that confusion. I understand that I'm coming at this from a DC perspective when DC are the worst in the world for loads of variants. <laughs> but 37 so- for the Eternals astounds me. Absolutely astounding. But are they all are they all like available? There's no like special ones or uh, one to twenty fives. I mean, there's uh, you can all. There's always going to be ratio ones with something like this. Uh, a lot of them, I've got the list in front of me here, and I see a lot of them are going to be like Virgin variant covers. So to give you an idea of the uh-huh. talent involved, like the talent is not is beyond doubt here. You oh, know, you've, crazy. You've got variant covers by Alex Ross, Peach Momoko, Alan Davis, Art Adams, Mahmoud Azrar, Jem Bartel. <laughs> Boss Logic, Russell Dodderman, Dave Johnson, Jeff Johnson, Mike Del Mundo, Jenny Frisson, Ran Gonzalez, Inhuke Lee, J. Scott Campbell, John Romita Jr., Jack Kirby, jeez, he's drawn from beyond the grave, uh, uh-huh. Bram Patelier, uh, Pelletier, sorry, Joe Casada, Carrie Randolph, Isad Ribich, Humberto Ramos, Walt Simonson, Ron Lim, Otto Schmidt, <laughs> Superlog, whoever that is, Todd Nowick, Greg Land, Takashi Okazaki, Dan Panison, Scotty Young, Lionel Francis Hugh, Frank Chu. And breathe. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's... I think... It astounds me. I really do. Like, uh, I would understand to a degree if Eternals, the movie, was out in November and you've got that built-in audience of people who are going to go and see this movie who might go, I fancy picking up a comic. But from what I understand, Eternals is, is ages away. You're talking next year, maybe, no? Uh, yeah. February February twelfth next year is the is the release date. Yeah, um, so maybe not too far away now. With this this sort of time frame, I guess what they're hoping for with this this comic is to have the same sort of reaction that the Guardians of the Galaxy film kind of had. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and I mean, interesting that you know you're you're probably right in that. I mean, I think I think the reason you're getting this uh, this glut of covers is probably because of the association with Jack Kirby. Yeah. Everybody wants to draw a, a cover, um, and that I can understand that. I mean, marketing wise, I don't know if it's it's massive. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's 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 I don't know, Kieran Gillen, the the, the master of the story about the story. Um, you know, there's there's no doubt in the talent in this book, and God, the I mean, the the covers. And the, the interior art looks absolutely phenomenal. There's there's no doubt in that either. And I, I'm looking forward to it based on the fact that it is Kieran Gillen and Issa Rivik. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
uh, dream team for sure. It is. It is. Um, so but whether uh, it's like, yeah. whether it's like they'll is that sort of mainstream crossover success? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of question. But maybe it's just like we are putting the pressure on this Eternals run. But it is. It's probably Marvel's biggest of this mm-hmm. month, right? Is this is this more like? Is this going to be more like a Tom King vision or a Mr. Miracle? Is it going to be 12 issue premium uh, story about a character that no one really, or a group that no one really terribly cares about, other than the fact they've got a, a massive multi, what's going to be a multi million selling movie next year? You know what I mean? Is that where they're going? They've put just these top quality creators on it, you know, who are, or is it a case of Marvel have said to Kieran Gillen, man, you can come on board, do whatever you want. <laughs> and you know then he I mean? said the Eternals and their heads all just went oh, no. <laughs> Look, know, so not even Jack Kirby could story. make this a success <laughs> uh, I, um, I'm looking forward to it just looking at the preview pages this is going to be beautiful to look at you know it's going to be a great story uh, because Kieran Gillen's writing it so you know as you say Alan follow the creators and, uh, and you know Always. That's, where, that's where the gold will be you know so. always I mean I'll, I'll be jumping on this of course just because of the creative team and you know my Eternals knowledge is next to zero but it's more than it was now I still gotta go back to those 37 <laughs> covers there are more covers for this title than there are pages of internal art for issue one that is just astounding to me but it's just I mean I'm coming at it obviously not just as from as a fan perspective but also certainly from a business perspective I mean we we always like to get varying covers in and try and please as many people as we can and and all the rest but there's no way we will order all these variants unless they're on demand so to speak I mean I know we've got Jenny Frisson fans in the store I know we've got J. Scott Campbell fans I know we've got Peach Momoko fans so there are certain ones I'll order but from a from a retailer perspective I would rather take a chance on this and order, I don't know, 30 cover A's and a couple of variants than order 10 cover A's and one of every variant. You know what I mean? So, but no, yeah. I, I I don't mean to sound negative on it because the store, the title itself, I'm looking forward to. I will happily push it in the store. And as you say, Keith, it, it very much fits my ethos of follow creators, not titles. Uh, and, you know, you, you don't get much better than Kieran Gillen writing and he's had Rippage on Art. So, uh Bring on the cover A at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to have a wee look, a wee nosy through all these variants, Alan, and get back to you. Well, this is the thing. I mean, anybody listening to this, if they want to go online and have a look at the variants, and if they're ones that we can order in specifically for you, we will more than happily do that. Uh, it's just I would, I would just maybe be slightly wary of release day. I'm not sure we'll have lots of these variants, but if you do pre-order it with us, and it's not a ratio one, we will 100% guarantee it. So definitely check them out online and, and have a look. And if one catches your eye, just just let us know. And, uh, I mean, we've got, a, as I say, we've got a Eternals, uh, the movie, in February 2021 as part of Marvel Phase 4. So get on board now. Yeah, very much so. And hopefully it, it does have that, that audience for you. You know, that'd be great. So, and, and maybe even, as you say, if we order big on this cover and it doesn't necessarily sell massively in November, Maybe it comes out in February and people want to get on it from the start. And, you know, we, we have copies there. So we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it's, uh, I'll be really curious to see how this goes. I have to say it's I think it's always risky with a big two uh, putting out a title that doesn't have the same 
level of exposure as their stock characters, but it's also to be lauded that they're trying something different. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, have you had many pre-orders? Pre-orders, first of all, or? pre-orders are not too bad on it so far. I, I'm hoping after we after Keith's history lesson there that more people yeah. happily jump <laughs> on it. But the pre-orders are strong enough because again, a lot of people who come certainly to Coffee and Heroes they do buy in the R ethos of follow creators not characters so karen gillen stuff sells well whether it's once in future or it's die uh so seeing him on a big marvel book i think will attract a lot of people so we'll see how it goes see how it goes so yeah that is going to bring an end to our work through the previous book this month this was the uh, September book with releases coming in November and early December. Of course, any of these appeal to you, do get in touch with us, guys. Either come into the store and we can have a chat, or you can find us on Facebook and get in touch, or through Twitter, Instagram, all the usual, all the usual places. Cutoff date is, I believe, twenty three days from now. So looking at the calendar, twenty fourth of September. So is going to be the order in for this one. So hopefully you've got plenty of time to consider. And uh, of course, this is the uh, this is the start of a new era of podcasting. This is episode one hundred and one. Uh, and if uh, if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen and listen to the the two variants of our hundredth uh, our hundredth episode, then then please do. The first was two 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 lovely interviews. Uh, really, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying being 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 back with my buddies uh, now, but. Uh, but it was great having uh, having having three fantastic guests, uh, you know, and and the the Kando creators and uh, and uh, and and Declan Shelby, uh, writer and artist for uh, for for all of both of the big two and uh, and a man from from Ennis County, Clare. Mm. Yeah, it felt it felt like we made uh, three new buddies. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Just the you're way right. just the way we were chatting to everyone, it just felt so casual or something. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. Def- definitely guys you'd like to wait for a pint with, you know, and talk about anything, not just comics, you know. So, but yeah, go back and listen to those. They were they were really fun to do, really informative, and it's nice to get a little bit of an insight into the business as well from the creative side. So, those were our episodes one hundred, and now triple digits and counting, boys. It's it just keeps getting Ooh. bigger. <laughs> like easy numbering. cool well that's gonna do it for us uh on this previews podcast so hope you guys enjoyed it again anything appeals to you just let us know the previews books themselves are always in store aside from again the the dc one which you can find online at dcconnect.com so pleasure as always gentlemen i will look forward to seeing you both in store and i will look forward to seeing all of our listeners in store thank you very much guys good night cool good night keep on winging it Hey guys, Stephen here. Please order Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers as I really, really want that 1-25 Peach Momoko variant. Thank you.